Yeah, so I kind of wanted to start by asking you about if you could describe your first experience of cinema, whether that was kind of seeing a film at the cinema or... Ooh, I think maybe seeing Lion King when I was five, four or five. (laughs) Feeling like standing up on the seat, you know, cheering. (laughs) But uh, it's pretty fuzzy, to be honest with you. I can't, I don't... Uh, I don't think I was one of those that was like, I knew I was going to be a cinephile from a really young age. I think I had to kind of hit puberty and be a teenager and go through all of that stuff before I realized that I was really going to be into cinema. Yeah, thinking about that, what most people kind of that I've talked to, just kind of working out the questions and talking to people and thinking about it myself, is that there seems to be either a film or like a period of time where you kind of, there was a transition from you just go to the cinema Mm -hmm. as a kid and you don't really think too much of it to then you consider in cinema as an actual a thing a thing yeah yeah. (laughs) and the mechanics behind it and knowing a filmmaker's name for the first time or whatever I think that I always was naturally drawn towards old Hollywood to begin with just because in America Easter every year there was the Ten Commandments the Cecil B. DeMille one from the 50s and then every St. Patrick's Day, there was John Ford's The Quiet Man, and every Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life. And so those were probably the first filmmakers where I I kind of knew, like, that's a Frank Capra movie, Uh, that's a DeMille movie or whatever. But the first movie that I think I watched, and anybody who knows me probably has heard me tell this anecdote like a million times, but um, we used to go to a DVD rental shop, now non-existent kind of ritual that I used to do with my parents every Friday night, usually. And I went to the classic section and picked up Rubble Without a Cause. And that seeing James Dean and his red windbreaker was kind of the catalyst to like be fascinated. I was about 13 or 14. And I kind of knew that his name was synonymous with some kind of rebellion, but I didn't really know why or anything about him per se. I knew that he died young. And I think James Dean was the in for me. James Dean was like the I don't know if I want this person or I want to be this person. And that kind of movie star worship became like such a pinnacle of my movie going. And I think it still is. I think I still like, there are still certain stars that I will go out of my way to watch now because of Dean and because of learning about method acting and learning about Brando as a result of Dean and then getting into Ilya Kazan, who was probably the first filmmaker that I really became obsessed with and loved. And he was Greek-American. I'm Greek-American. So there was this fascination there from the get-go. And then finding out that actually Kazan wasn't too nice of a guy (laughs) in his private life. But yeah, that was the start, I think. Around that point, you've gone from cinema is just you go to the movies, you watch a film, to kind of realizing there's, there's more to it. Was it immediate that you then thought, this is something that interests me? kind of I don't know to study or I want to make films or it was there a immediate or was that kind of a more gradual it like was an evolution quite gradual yeah I think that um filmmaking didn't seem like something that had ever entered my head and to be honest with you it still kind of hasn't like it, it's there are a lot of critics that cross that line um or filmmakers that started out as critics like Paul Schrader I just never really I've never really had much of a propensity for dealing with the technical side of things so and I still don't <laughs> So for me, it was always going to be a writer's interest. And I think for a long time, it was just obsession. So for a long time, it was just watching movies over and over and over again. I watched Rebel Without a Cause, Jesus. I don't know how many times. I just showed it to my 15-year-old sister for the first time when I visited home. And uh, she loved it and was very upset by the ending. And that felt like a real kind of like 
um, coming full circle to being that age and seeing it and still realizing that I knew all the lines and then watching things like Casablanca over and over again. Um, it wasn't really until I started looking into, you know, when I was close to graduating high school and I started realizing that I could actually study film and that cinema was something that they taught at universities um, before I was like, oh yeah, that seems like a natural choice. But yeah, there was never really, um, it was very emotionally led, I think, rather than intellectually led for me, if that makes sense. So then you were saying kind of at the time of graduating from high school, then making a decision did you go to study film at university then or was it kind of I know speaking to other people a lot of people were interested in film but found that they did a degree in something else and then came around to film either in like a master's or just by circumstance the thing with me was I always knew that I wanted to study English because I'd always been in some form or another for being like five years old it always was writing I was always writing diaries and stories and things like that um so I always knew it would be English but then uh, Nottingham Trent offered joint honors degrees. So it was really the choice for me between uh, English and history or English and film and television. Uh, and that was tough for a while, but I, feel like, I felt like I'd studied history quite a bit in school, whereas film was something that I just didn't, there was so much to learn. And it, I felt overwhelmed by movie, which was then called something else that I can't remember the name of, but it had a different name and it was when, it was when I was still in school. Would you say like studying film changed your taste in cinema? Obviously it would expand what you've watched, but mm -hmm. and you're saying kind of like more old Hollywood films you were interested in beforehand. Did that change over the course of studying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For me it was it was old Hollywood and uh like French New Wave, like kind of very familiar French New Wave, Godard and Truffaut and, and stuff like that. Um, so when I got to intro to European cinema class, I got to learn about Italian neorealism for the first time. I got to see a Jean Renoir film for the first time. That was all stuff that was completely new to me. Um, and I knew from the get go, like that was always the class that I was looking forward to. It was on a Friday morning. That was always the class I was looking forward to. Um, and so I think it massively changed it. And also the library at Trent on the Clifton campus was always really fantastic for, for the cinema studies. But, and they always had great critics as well. They had loads of books by Pauline Kael. And that got me really fascinated in like 70s Hollywood. Um, and her writing about like Martin Scorsese's movies and William Friedkin's movies and Paul Schrader's, all the, that kind of stuff. And, and it coming from a female critic, which was kind of new to me. Um, yeah, that was, I think, what really got, got me thinking about that. And also, I think... University, I mean, I don't think it'd be overstating it to say university ha had like an absolutely formative experience in how I thought about cinema. Would, uh, would you say that, was it an immediate thought then once you started studying film that you wanted to write about film? I know you said you weren't kind of ever interested, not interested, but wanted to pursue making films. Mm. Was, did that come immediately or was it through seeing all these films and then reading, like you're saying, like Pauline Kael? I think partially that and partially having to write a 13,000 word dissertation or whatever. And I could have done it on a lot of different things. I chose to do it in Martin Scorsese, which must have been cause for all of my tutors to roll their eyes back into their skull because God knows how many students, probably mostly guys, wanted to write about either Scorsese or Tarantino. But um, they were happy with the results. They wrote about Scorsese in The American Dream. Um, and that that kind of deep research and spending like eight months or whatever it was on on producing that document made me feel like I wanted to continue to do that. I wanted to continue to like deeply analyze 
films and see them from my own perspective, see them from, uh, I guess, partially from a woman's perspective as well, that my way of reacting to things was maybe not the same as other people's. Um, and not, not being arrogant enough to think that like I had a completely unique insight into cinema, but also just feeling like I wanted to express that, I guess. And just starting out writing a blog to that effect. Like in my last year of uni, I realized that I still really enjoyed doing it. And I guess unlike most kids that were finishing uni, I actually wanted to continue to write rather than be like, oh my God, please stop, <laughs> you know? I know this is a lot to kind of condense, but what was the path then from that you finished your degree, you know you want to continue writing, I know you mentioned then about doing a blog. I think one thing that, I don't know, even for someone who is really interested in cinema, like the path of someone to becoming, to become a film critic seems, I don't know, it's not a very obvious it's or- It's not clear cut, is yeah, it? No. It doesn't seem to be, oh, all those people went that way. It's like every single person has a, has a slightly different- Yeah. Yeah, what was your kind of path? I guess I, I mean I wish yeah I wish there was like an easier answer for this kind of thing but like it was mostly through like blind kind of stumbling um I because I'm American because I my student visa was about to expire there were a few months in between sorting out my immigration papers that I could not work in the UK um so I had decent amount of time on my hands to tinker around basically with writing watching loads of films and writing a lot and um, joining Twitter, which was a different place in 2012, I think, than it is now. Um, it was mostly just really enthusiastic, geeky cinephiles all wanting to talk about movies. And then you saying, oh, I just watched this Bob Fosse film and I want to talk to somebody about it. And there being like two people on the Internet that, that yeah, they'd seen it and they wanted to talk to you about it. And they'd say, oh, have you seen this other movie? And that, that community, that sort of little like fledgling bit of community ended up like that entire group of people ended up becoming kind of film writers through um, one friend of ours who is now one of the critics at The Observer, Simran Hans. She um, started a not-for-profit, just-for-fun website called Kubrick on the Guillotine, and a bunch of us started writing for it. Um, and it kind of went from there. That that was kind of the the catalyst. We, like I say, we weren't being paid or anything. It was just for fun. I wrote a piece about Carrie and how I thought that some people thought it was a really anti-feminist film. And I really thought that actually it was quite empowering. And um, me and, and Simran had like a sort of roundtable conversation uh, about Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street and its portrayal of women. And that got picked up by quite a lot of people, like people that like worked for BFI and stuff started sharing that and seemed interested in what we were saying about it. And like, that was a part of the critical conversation that maybe like two young women who loved Scorsese and loved his work, but also maybe had some issues with how, you know, how, how he was portraying women seemed to just get a lot of traction. And so I, I really have, I feel it completely. I have Twitter to thank for, you know, yeah. helping me get to know like, oh, okay, this person is the editor at, at the BFI website or, you know, chatting to that person and then them thinking, okay, this girl, maybe knows what she's talking about. We might give her a chance to, we might throw her 70 quid to write something. And that's just how it started, you know. Just, just picked one, up one traction. Next, yeah. yeah, and then and then getting invited to things, like kind of, I think the first thing I went to was at Leeds Film Festival. Gosh, I guess it's what, six years ago now. And being like super nervous because it, it felt like one of those kind of weird things where you're just meeting a bunch of internet friends yeah. <laughs> and going and like meeting and like meeting everyone and having a chat. And like those kind of, groups um 
you end up like meeting people that work for some of the larger organizations or work for ICO or something like that. And, you know, there is a, a good deal of kind of like, I hate to say it like this, but like, you know, it's very important to meet people and know the right people as well. So how is balancing freelance work? How does that, I can't imagine that it's an, an easy way to sustain. It's not easy. I mean, you have to have, I think I would like, I would advise anybody that wants to get into it to have some kind of savings or something to fall back on because there are times when it gets very quiet. And then there are other times where you don't want to say no to anything. So you keep saying yes. And then you have so much work that you physically are running out of hours in the day to do it. So that can be tricky. And like, I think in the past 18 months, I've learned to get a lot better at figuring out what to say yes to and what to say no to. Um, and sometimes just, ha- just having to say like, do I need to write this thousand words for 90 quid or maybe maybe it's actually not worth it this week maybe the maybe the the little bit of extra time to like bounce back and rest and think about what you want to do next is important so finding that kind of space to like sit back and reflect on what you want to do also but I feel like the minute that I that I kind of said I'm gonna stop trying to write or do what everybody else is doing and kind of think about the things that I'm like no matter how strange I think they might be the things that I'm really fascinated by and these like you know these kind of small little pockets of cinema that I'm interested in um or the psychology of movie going or the persona of certain stars when I started writing and pitching that kind of stuff I felt way more fulfilled and I also found that people were interested and people became more uniquely interested in what I had to sell basically Um, so in a weird way, I do think kind of leaning back on what you're passionate about, you can make other people passionate about it, even if you do think it's a bit out of left field or whatever. I guess that's what you're saying when you're saying, um, you had the round table discussing a film from a point of view that wasn't necessarily completely unique, but it was honest to you, if that makes sense. If people can, I don't know, people seem to be able to tell in pretty much anything if it's if it's coming from a genuine place, even if people disagree with it, you would hope then you can go, well, I can respect what someone's yeah. saying. Yeah. And I think that the best film critics, maybe writers in general, but anyone who's arguing for something that's, you know, subjective, if um, they can make you think twice about your own opinion, yes. even if even if you don't agree with them, even if you virulently disagree, if you're like, wow, they've got a quite a point there. Yeah. That's always, I think, the best kind of writing. As well as writing, and you, you've done programming as well. And I noticed you also, you taught a few courses here, haven't you, at yeah. Broadway. What kind of motivated, obviously, te- uh, take programming first. What kind of motivated that decision? Was it quite a natural, did it feel like a natural step from writing to showing films as well? Yeah, that started, jeez, uh, pr- uh, quite a few years ago. It has slowed down, unfortunately. Like, we haven't programmed anything in quite a while, which is just kind of more of a time thing than anything. Um, it was always just, it was never kind of money oriented. It was always just, can we show movies that we aren't seeing in cinema uh, that we'd really like to see on a big screen and make them sort of events? And we were very lucky in that regard. We knew uh, Stephen Scheel, who's one of the guys that runs, in fact, I think he teaches them the BFI courses. Yeah, he, did, well. yeah, he taught yeah. me on the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he also runs uh, or co runs Mayhem Film Festival. And um, we went to him because we had no real idea of what, how to program, how you get the films, the licensing, any of that. 
and he basically walked us through it um and we went to his office and he showed us the website for you know all the websites for getting access to licensing and everything and basically helped us set up when i say us i should go back and say it's me and my husband uh charles who we both love 70s american cinema that's kind of always been the one crossover that we share like he wants to leave the room when i want to watch 50s musicals but 70s american cinema is kind of where we meet and um so we wanted to show the last detail and vanishing point that that was the double bill that we started out with we managed to get it screened on the 4th of july which was kind of perfect um gave out little american flags and it was just it was just so fun it was fun to be able to contextualize that stuff and like talk about the era and talk about all these like weird oddities from that time um, and these films that were like backlash films against the counterculture, or anti-feminist films. Uh, and what I found is the, the more stuff we screened, the more you had to contextualize it for the audience because it, some of the stuff really does not wash now <laughs> at all. And you forget you, like, how you remember it watching it at home and then you put it on a big screen for a group of people and there'll be a scene in one of the films that's like horribly homophobic or something and you think, my God. Like, this, so you, you have to be careful as well when you're, trying to contextualize them within yeah. the era and the time um and just that they're not seeing that much or screen that much anymore so yeah it was pure kind of out of love never really made any money from it but it also really taught me a lot about that side of things um so like talking to like friends here at broadway that do programming and stuff like that and other people you know further afield that do and learning from their perspective what sells and how to market a film and you know all that kind of stuff when you're thinking about it commercially is, is useful i think as a mm -hmm. critic as well uh, in terms of the teaching, was that kind of another similar thing where it kind of felt like a like a logical step to take? Yeah, I think the first time, I think it maybe hadn't occurred to me. I think somebody at Broadway asked me to do one, and I, my immediate reaction was, oh God, because I had never done really any public speaking. Um, and to be honest with you, to this day, like I still don't really like it. I like especially intros because I feel like I never know for how long to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I'm really not good. My nerves get the best of me. Um, but it was actually a really healthy thing because as a critic, you are asked regularly to talk on panels and Q and A's and intros and things like that. And to teach, to talk for two hours, basically with only a short break is getting you in the mindset and having the ability to, to articulate the stuff that you know, that you know, but can be a little bit daunting at first To So I think it was healthy in that respect. And also just, it's, it's fun. It's nice to share knowledge with people and, you know, get questions from curious people and see that there's enthusiasm for, you know, the history of Hollywood or whatever it is that, you know, that I've taught the history of crime cinema I did here, which was a good one. Um, but there is a downside, I think. Um, I just don't know whether you're interested in hearing no, it. No, definitely. <laughs> what would that be? Um, the downside for me is maybe if I was teaching like it was a certain age, it wouldn't be so bad. I find that often at cinemas, and I've, I've taught other places besides Broadway, but the audience tends to be a little older. And often it's very skewed male. Okay. And so uh, I don't think that they necessarily love like coming to a class and me kind of expounding at length about stuff that they can either remember because they were alive at the time that I certainly wasn't or just that they're that much older than me that they're not really that they tend to butt in sometimes right. or try to talk over you or try to like try to let you know that they know as much or more right, than you. Yeah. And I find that a little bit like... <laughs> but you know that's yeah, old old cinephiles i guess yeah uh, one thing kind of that i want to kind of trace through the conversation is how studying studying film working in film how that 
has an effect on your taste in film. So obviously you already talked about kind of once you realise cinema's this big world as opposed to just the films you see at the cinema. How did, how is working and reviewing films regularly and writing about films, I'm guessing, constantly, mm. how has that altered kind of the films you like and like your general view of cinema, if it has? I think it has to some extent. I think particularly when you're festival going, I think you, you just, you walk into things that you know next to nothing about and it opens your mind to watching things that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. Um there are still I still have massive blind spots. I think most people do in the film world. I think everyone has like I know very very little about Chinese cinema, for example. That's just straight over my head. Um, but yeah, there are certain kind of national cinemas and art house cinema that just generally I probably wouldn't have known about. Um, and plenty of things when you go to festivals that don't actually get UK theatrical yeah. distribution. So you know that kind of stuff is is really helpful. Um, I think that. In, in some ways, though, it also has made me lean more heavily into the things that I've always loved because um, when you're thinking about and writing about films for a living all the time, it doesn't, for me at least, it doesn't really make me want to not watch movies at the nighttime <laughs> to relax. But what I will watch at the nighttime to relax will be the stuff that's tried and true. Yeah. Cary Grant movies or, you know, The Awful Truth or Only Angels Have Wings or something like yeah. that, you know. Yeah, because I guess you're taking risks on stuff and kind of expanding what you're watching constantly so mm -hmm. yeah you kind of yeah i think it's natural to kind of fall back on the well, the things that made you fall in love you with love, cinema in yeah. the, the first place and also you know like really just dumbass comedy <laughs> as well sometimes like i just love Step Brothers. i will happily watch that movie anytime learning not to be like snot-nosed about movies which i yeah. probably was when i was 17 like most 17 year olds are but fundamentally I'll argue this still in blue in the face, you know, that cinema was a, a vulgar art form that was born for immigrants and working class people that highbrow people look down on. And so to turn it into our own highbrow kind of, um, you know, plaything doesn't really make sense. It's for people that want to go watch explosions. Yeah. Like, that's fine. But, you know, there's no harm in it. It's just not all there is to, to yeah. cinema. What advice would you, if someone was studying film either to be a critic or a filmmaker, would there be any advice that you would give? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I guess times have changed a little bit since I graduated. Uh, but I think that it's very important to get... I'm trying to think of a way to say this doesn't sound too cynical. Um, first of all, it's knowing that financially you're not going to necessarily be in a good place, even when you doing more or less what it is that you want to do it can be very difficult um the other thing is you have to get your name around um you have to meet people i think the best thing for young people to do if they're still like in in uni is go uh intern or volunteer at film festivals so many of the people that i know that work at, high up at like major film festivals whether that's london film festival toronto um sheffield doc fest which is a good one if you're in nottingham um, they volunteered and it got them understanding how a festival worked, seeing loads of movies for free, um, meeting people, going to the parties and stuff and, and rubbing shoulders. And you'll find that that kind of thing, if you're looking for an in, people are generally pretty friendly as long as you're not aggressively networking them to death. Um, and yeah, if you, I hate to say this, make a Twitter, 
and just kind of you know get talking to people i think is just the main thing just meeting people and getting yourself into that that film world is the most important thing